This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the BearCast here on Sikkim365.com, also 365 Sports on YouTube, and it is the March Madness edition of the BearCast as both men's and women's basketball have booked their tickets after... Well, short and disappointing stays at the Big 12 tournament last week in Kansas City. One and done for both the men and women, but uh, they were still going to be heading to the tournament regardless, and now we know their official destinations and their official pathways to what you hope is a long and deep run into the NCAA tournament. And, uh, well, the longer they stick around, the longer basketball season lasts around these parts. So we're going to dive into that. Football's a week away from spring practices opening not time just yet for a full-on deep dive into the roster and all those types of things uh, because basketball will take precedent today. Uh, but we uh, have a couple of notes from camp this past weekend to touch on. I'm Craig Smoke, <clears throat> joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, and uh, both of us obviously at Sikkim365.com. As behind the scenes, we also have Jack McKenzie and Garrett Ross as well, and do appreciate them and appreciate all of you tuned in and those of you who give us a listen uh, later on after we go live on the podcast. Uh, but we do have uh, some things to talk about today here, Grayson. First things first, just how was your week? Another week in the books. Now here we are getting into mid-March, and uh, pretty soon football is going to be back. Yeah, you know, this week was a lot of fun, actually. I had Under Armour camp, so got to see a lot of the top recruits in the state and honestly the nation in Dallas. So that was fun. And then, of course... You know, we talk about March Madness, and March Madness is always a great time of the year. And I think, you know, when I always think about the tournament, I always have such fond memories of just upsets and uh, brackets being busted and, you know, surprises all throughout the tournament. It's always such a great time of the year, so I couldn't be more excited for this upcoming week. Those two days, uh, Thursday and Friday, the first round, are some of the most entertaining days in, in sports, really. Yeah, they are. They are like sports holidays in, in mm -hmm. so many ways. And uh, y y if you have a company that you work for that maybe is uh, sympathetic to that, that's like the best company you could possibly work for because, man, that is one of those days where you feel like it, it should be a holiday. It, it, it does feel like that. So we do have that uh, coming up here in just a couple of days. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, and as you are well aware, as a Baylor fan listening to this or just whoever, uh, the Bears are in the NCAA tournament, both the men's and women's side. And let's start off with the, the men's side as we dive in fully here. Um, there was debate going into last weekend and the Big 12 tournament about two-seed, three-seed, where could they possibly find themselves, what kind of a run could they uh, you know, go on, where could they situate themselves. And a lot of that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of room for, for error one way or the other. Like if you lost early, you weren't going to fall to like a four or five seed or anything crazy like that. Um, you also weren't going to go up and grab a number one seed. It was just, are you going to ride that two where you were? And the answer is no. They went one and done in the Big 12 tournament out in Kansas City, losing for a third time to the Iowa State Cyclones and got whooped again. I mean, just flat out, they, they the Cyclones have their number. I mean, I think that's the simplest way to put it. Uh, but 78-72, that was just days removed from the 73-58 
whooping in Waco that closed the regular season. So back-to-back losses to ISU to close the year um, ahead of March Madness. And uh, that results in them pulling a three-seed when all was said and done. UC Santa Barbara will be their first opponent uh, coming up on Friday at 1230. Uh, But when you look at uh, just the overall seedings and, and kind of like where Baylor fell. Was there anything that jumped out to you immediately before we dive into the matchup and the pathway and all of that, but them ended up a three seed after what happened in Kansas City. Did that really come as a shocker to you in any way? No, it didn't at all. I mean, it was one of those situations where you felt like if they lost Iowa State, they were definitely going to get a three seed, especially when you looked at kind of the landscape of the you know, of college basketball, in all honesty, because you saw Arizona, and you were kind of thinking, okay, they made it to the Pac-12 championship game. So regardless if they beat UCLA, they're probably going to be ahead of Baylor. Uh, Texas, again, they made it to the Big 12 championship. I think they were squarely ahead of Baylor as well after they beat um, after they beat Kansas at the end of the regular season. And then UCLA and Marquette were the other two. And honestly, you know, Marquette beat Baylor by 30 earlier this year. I felt like they were more deserving. They went on to win their conference tournament as well. So that was an easy pick. And then UCLA, I think UCLA was just ranked too far ahead of Baylor for Baylor to really catch them. They were actually, if they had beaten Arizona, they probably would have had a case to be a number one seed. So I, I just felt like Purdue or Baylor was very much behind those other teams and so yeah they get a three seed I think if you look at the three line though I think that they're you know one of the top teams in that three line you know they beat Gonzaga K-State beat them twice so K-State might have a case to be a little bit ahead of them and they're ahead of Xavier as well so I think it was very fair for them and I honestly think the draw they got is actually pretty ideal and if you look across the country at the other two seeds you would have liked to be on the two line but if you're a three seed I, I think this was the best draw they could have gotten yeah, I mean, that's certainly what I've seen from uh, a few different uh, takes so far is that they feel pretty good. I mean, depending on, on which ones I've seen, they all feel pretty good about uh, the reactions that is uh, this draw. And then there's others that are a little bit more negative, Nelly, that can maybe twist it a certain way and don't see it. And like USC, uh, UC Santa Barbara is a dangerous matchup or what have you. I mean, I guess it's a lot of us in the eye of the beholder, but um, yeah, ends up a, a three seed with seven seed overall for the Bears. Uh, so that's now that's not too shabby when you think about it that way. I mean, nine the num- seed, right? Was it nine? Yeah, okay, because seven, seven would be a two seed. Oh, right? Okay, that's right. Yeah, nine seed overall, but um, yeah, not bad and, and not uh, not too far from what was expected, especially with the quick exit. Just what did you think, though? Of, first off, I guess of that that game against Iowa State, uh, not quite as ugly as the meeting just four days earlier, but uh, again, just a team that seems to to know how to you know, knock the Bears around a bit and, uh, and and not a great matchup for them. Yeah, I mean, bad matchup, a team that has clearly figured out Baylor offensively and they figured out a way to guard them, force turnovers, and then, of course, the rebounding was just simply unforgivable. Um, Baylor did not show up on the glass for everyday John and Flo Thamba to combine for zero rebounds. That's That tells you the whole story really there. I know I got a lot of pushback during the game, but you know, I didn't feel like Iowa State was just crazy good. I, I didn't think they were playing some magical game or that they're a team of destiny or anything along those lines. And they came out and got, you know, beat up pretty good by Kansas the very next day. So in general, I think it was a bad performance by Baylor. I will also say, I think this might just be a case where Iowa State's just a bad matchup for them. And I think that's been pretty clear throughout the year. Three losses to any team and all three really coming fairly handedly. Um, I think is a clear sign of a problem there. And luckily, Baylor won't have to play them 
And that's exactly what I'm talking about by Baylor getting a favorable draw of all the three seeds. Because if you look at the other teams, uh, Xavier will probably have to play Iowa State in the second round. Uh, Gonzaga will probably have to play TCU, a team that Baylor beat once barely, and that was without their best player, Mike Miles. And then on the other side, uh, Kansas State, a three seed, will likely have to play Kentucky in the second round. Um, So while Creighton is... Yeah, we're going to get to them. They're not a pushover by any means. I do think there could have been worse situations, such as playing Iowa State for a fourth time, which I know the committee wouldn't have done. But still, if you look across at the other three seeds, that could be what's waiting for some of those teams in the second round. Well, here's what's waiting for Baylor. Uh, Again, a three seed when all the dust settled after that loss to Iowa State in the quick exit in Kansas City. Um, number nine seed overall. I was looking at the the preview show that had them as a seven mm-hmm. before the weekend, and so yeah, they did have that opportunity to be a two, but uh, again, lost, and that's where they ended up. So they're in the South Region, and uh, they are um, sitting there as a three seed in the same bracket with the number one overall seed in the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, as they take care of their business in the SEC. Tremendous year, obviously some weird off the court stuff over the last few weeks is. Um, you know, been a part of that story to some extent as well. But, I mean, as far as the on the court, I mean, nobody can deny the year that they've had. So the Crimson Tide are atop the bracket in the south and just atop the bracket in general. But that is where the Bears also find themselves. Uh, the two seed uh, also in that region, the Arizona Wildcats. So it's Bama, it's Arizona, and it's Baylor, and then it's Virginia as far as your top four seeds go. But for the Bears, and not going through every single one of these teams, it is UC Santa Barbara, the 14 seed, coming up on Friday on TNT at, uh, is it 12.30, I guess, Central Time? Yeah, uh, 12.30 Central Time is when we'll see them tip off for uh, hopefully what is many games to come uh, here before uh, basketball season is all said and done. So, UC Santa Barbara, your first impressions of the Gauchos. We had uh, one of their, you know, folks on yesterday on 365 Sports and gave us some insight. And, you know, he was, uh, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. He was very uh, excitable and very confident that the Gauchos could, you know, beat the Bears on Friday. And look, I'm not ruling anything out. It's March Madness. I feel pretty good about them winning their first game, though. But uh, what did you think of the draw of UC Santa Barbara, the 14th seed? Yeah, I mean, I understand that there's some hesitancy because of the way Baylor's been playing recently, but let's be honest here. The teams that they've been playing are really good teams. Every one of them are quad one teams. Like, Iowa State is a six seed. Like, they're a tough out, you know? And so I I think people might be slightly overreacting to the way Baylor finished the season. Now, does that mean Baylor's some unstoppable force? No. Do I expect UC Santa Barbara to push them a little bit? Sure. But at the end of the day, Baylor, what Baylor struggles with is not really something that UC Santa Barbara does. They're not an elite defensive team. They're not a team that is great in the paint. They have a couple really good players, um, including A.J. Mitchell, who is you know really, really good for them. And I, I think that their best players are going to get theirs. Like I, I totally agree with that. A.J. Mitchell, he'll score. Miles Norris, good player as their forward as well. Um, but nothing they really do is something that Baylor's really had a lot of problems with this season. And so I expect Baylor to actually get through this by double digits. I I think they're going to be just fine in this first round. And I I think if you look around at some of the other 14 seeds, like a Grand Canyon would have been a less fun matchup 
I think, for Baylor. But in this instance, playing UC Santa Barbara, I, I think they're going to cruise past this. Baylor really has done a great job against teams that aren't in quad one. And so that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had the same thought. I initially see US, UCSB, and I'm just like, okay, well, that, that should be a winnable game. But, yeah, you just start to get more into the nervous Nellies and just the fact that, like, yeah, if you go down the road of if they're not hitting any shots like has been customary for them at times, then, yeah, it could, it's going to turn into a tougher game than it should be. If they're getting dominated on the boards, which you wouldn't think would happen necessarily in this matchup, but, yeah, that's entirely possible because we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen recently. So if they play at their worst, they could lose the game. Mm-hmm. If they play pretty close to their best or somewhat, you know, in that vicinity, I feel pretty good about them getting into the round of 32. Absolutely. And so just a couple quick hitters on UC Santa Barbara. They are a 163rd, according to Ken Palm, in defensive rating. 163rd. Like, that is not good at all. And they're playing a Baylor team that is still number two in the country offensively. I just, there's no way that Baylor's honestly not scoring 75, 80 points in this game. Like, I would be stunned if they're unable to uh, score against this UC Santa Barbara team. Another factor that is working against UC Santa Barbara, they have zero wins against tournament teams. Zero. Their league is okay. They, there's a few 21 teams in there, but none of them that made it as an at-large as, as large team. There's a few teams in there that were absolutely dreadful uh, at the bottom of that conference. But again, no wins over an NCAA tournament team, and now they're expected to just roll up and beat Baylor. I, I don't I don't see it and there's other resumes in this conference or in this tournament from you know 12 and 13 seeds that tell you, hey, that could be a team that could pull an upset. They've been tested. They've played some really good teams. But when you look at UC Santa Barbara, you don't really see that. And the other factor that comes to mind for me, they still lost five times in their conference. They actually tied for the regular season championship with UC Irvine. Um, They had a stretch where they lost three in a row but are on a seven-game win streak right now. So who knows? Maybe they're getting hot at the right time. But in general, I don't think this is a team that can compete with Baylor. Yeah, they did uh, you said share the regular season, won the yep. tournament uh, in the um, Big West Conference, mm-hmm. and uh, did finish fifteen and five, as you said. But a seven game winning streak to close the year, so I think that's part of where you know some of that confidence does come from. But you're right, like I mean, to think that just athletically uh, that they match up the same with the teams that Baylor's been playing week in and week out for the last several months. Yeah, I, I don't see the the comparison there either. And I just feel like, yeah, show up and play pretty close to your best and you should take care of business and move on to the round of 32. I mean, you're a three seed playing a 14. I don't want to make this too complicated. Can 14s upset threes? Yeah. Can upsets happen in March? Of course. Duh. That's why we all love it. That's why we get excited about it, even though it probably doesn't happen nearly as often as we picture it in our minds. But this is one that's pretty simple. Play well, move on, and get into the, you know, get into the uh, opportunity to, to go play for a Sweet 16 banner. I mean, right. that's that's how I'm looking at this. I'm not trying to, to overthink this too much. The, the three seed should not be losing to the 14, yeah. and, this, and this Baylor team should have a little fire going uh, after, you know, the way this season closed, uh, you know, with the back-to-back losses to Iowa State. Yeah, and I mean, this upset does happen. Like, I, I'm sure. not trying to sit here and say that 14 seeds can't beat three seeds. I, I fully expect that that could happen in this tournament. I mean, there are some good 14 seeds that could be a problem, but – when you don't play a single tournament team all year and now you're going to face a team that is one of the most battle-tested teams in the entire country that had to go through this gauntlet in the Big 12 and you're just expecting UC Santa Barbara to be able to match that, 
I, I find that hard to believe. And honestly, it, you know, losing this game would be very oh, shocking. Man. I think it would be, you know, Georgia State, like, let's not forget, they had R.J. Hunter. Like, they had a pro on their team. And A.J. Mitchell, you know, he might be a pro. I could see it, but he's still only a sophomore. You know, he's young. He's still not fully developed quite yet. He's a good player, though. Um, but, you know, R.J. Hunter beat him. I know the Yale team, they had Makai Mason, who was an awesome player as well. That's kind of what, you know, maybe A.J. Mitchell could bring that magic. Um, but I think playing Yale that year was a totally different ball game than this UC Santa Barbara team. And a little bit more battle-tested. They had a little bit more, you know, scheme-wise that I felt like really disrupted Baylor in that 1-3-1. But I think in this specific matchup, I, I see this being a great matchup for Baylor and, and honestly one that they should get by pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I've got a mark to move on to the second round. Beyond yep. that, we can we can dive into that. We don't need to go through the entire bracket because it's just the opening weekend. So we're going to look at the first couple of potential matchups. Obviously, you've got the for sure guarantee, and then you've got a second game, and then beyond that, we'll know next week when we reconvene of you know what the rest of the path looks like. So, um, you know, this is a rubber match. Uh, as Santa Barbara does have a win over Baylor, these two teams met. Uh, the first time in 1965, Baylor won that game 78 to 75, and then they met again in 1970, and Santa Barbara won 95 to 68. Wow! So uh, a little bit of history that probably nobody thought would would exist really between these two teams. But yes, they have actually met two times before. A um, couple of the other, you know, uh, I guess release notes that uh, they put out there. Uh, Baylor a top three seed for the third straight NCAA tournament, which is definitely a cool accomplishment. you got to make it count, and luckily they did a couple of years ago. They made it count as, as much as you can possibly make it count. Uh, so it's still, though, good to see you know them cons- consistently now re- uh, reeling in these top three uh, seedings. And so, yeah, three straight NCAA tournaments as a top three seed. Uh, eighth NCAA tournament in their last nine opportunities and can go on and on. They but would I have mean, had another one in 2020 also, yep. another top three seed. Yep, uh, but of course COVID canceled that. So, I mean, it, it goes without saying, really, because, again, there's there's all these other notes that I could get into, but uh, they're doing really well for themselves as a program right now. Mm-hmm. And UC Santa Barbara is on tap first up in uh, Denver, Colorado on Friday afternoon. Now, if they were to take care of the Gauchos, which mm-hmm. we both expect them to, Beyond that, I think it's a crapshoot as far as how how far and how deep you think they can go into this tournament. Uh, looking at the the bracket and just the, the way things um, you know shape up, the Big Twelve for one is in um, is in fun territory, man. Just right now as a as a collective, I feel like. Um, this conference got a little bit disrespected. I mean, did you kind of have that that thought as far as the the seedings go? I've, I've seen some of those comments, but I mean, think pretty well represented. Just for uh, before we move on to to round two, I think in general the Big Twelve has to be pretty excited about where it is. I mean, all this talk about being the nation's best conference, I don't think there's too many that would argue that. But uh, when all of the dust settled, what did you think of the conference's draw? I think it was all pretty fair. I mean, because here's the thing. You do have to look at full body of work, right? And I think TCU's probably, a, you know, I think they're a better team than a sixth seed. But the problem is, is they had that stretch without Mike Miles, and they lost quite a few games during that stretch. And you can't just take those back. Like, they count. 
everything counts to the resume. So for them to get a six seed, for Iowa State to get a six seed, I thought those were both pretty good landing spots for them. K-State and Baylor is three seeds. Texas is a two seed. I had no issue with any of those at all. So honestly, uh, I felt pretty good about it. I think West Virginia is a nine is fair as well. They've been inconsistent. I know the metrics really like them, especially Ken Palm, but um, in general, their resume screams about an eight or a nine, I think is about right. So yeah, I felt like the Big 12 got plenty of respect in this situation. I think if Baylor would have taken care of business, they would have been a two seed. Um, And the Big 12 could have had a one and two twos and a three in Kansas State. Uh, I know Texas fans are upset with getting a two seed instead of a one. Um, But if you really look at it, who were you going to replace? You know, right, Purdue yeah. and Arizona both won their conference tournament, just like Texas did. Um, so you can't replace them. Uh, Alabama, number one overall seed, they won their conference tournament as well. The only one you could look at is maybe Houston. Um, but Houston lost their conference championship game in which their best player, Marcus Sasser, was clearly limited. Um, and, and I think a lot of times the committee doesn't want to put all their stock into winning your conference tournament. But I think in general, Houston had been too good all year for Texas to jump them. So I I felt like Big 12 was in was all pretty fair. Yeah, I want to just touch on that before we, we move along here. Um, but, yeah, I thought they were well represented. And with the seedings and slots and all that now official, you didn't talk about the difference between who Baylor's faced this year and who Santa Barbara's faced this year. Seven of Baylor's last eight opponents all in the tournament. And those yeah. are all Big 12 teams. But the only team they haven't played here recently that did not make it was Oklahoma State. And they were right there on the edge of it. But last besides that – yeah, they were the last four in. Out, sorry. Last out, yes. Yeah. Besides them, um, they have played all ranked teams in the yeah. uh, the last what is that month or so. Uh, so they're yeah they're battle tested, and that's just the last month. That's not all the other right. games they played prior One thing to, to that. Mention on that because I think it's so important that we put this in perspective. Uh, UC Santa Barbara, not only did they play no tournament teams, they played zero quad one teams, and they only played four quad two teams. So they were three and one against the quad two, and then they played 14 quad three games and 14 quad four games. 28 of the games on their schedule came against teams that were in quad three or quad four. I mean, that just that just does not scream a team that has been tested and, and that is ready for what they're about to see with Baylor. And so, yeah, I think that's so important to mention. Like you said, Baylor's been tested constantly. Week after week, they get this long break now to kind of figure out some things and figure out you know who they are as a team and how far they want to go in this tournament. I know there were reports that Adam Flagler was you know holding a team, a players-only meeting. I heard that uh, from the Big 12 tournament. And so... I think those guys, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, Flo Thamba, you know, it's time. You know what I mean? For that leadership it's to now rise. Now or never, to the top. bro. Right. I mean, like, it's, this is winner go home it. at this point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the, the last ride of Keontae George. Uh, this is the last mm-hmm. ride of perhaps Adam Flagler. And, uh, I mean, who else do you want to name in that group and, and yeah. who you expect to move on and whatnot? So, yeah, I mean, this is this your last ride together. And I think. One of the common themes when they've struggled is I hope they realize that, mm-hmm. you know, at 20 and 21 and, and whatnot, you know, it can kind of just seem like not, I don't want to say not that big of a deal, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to realize when it's far too late of the special opportunity that you had. And this is a pretty good group of talent that has had some really uh, incredible moments and has had some other, you know, 
headache-inducing moments, but they are fully capable of going on a deep run. And, uh, yeah, you hope that whether it's a players-only meeting called or whatever the case, that they, they do realize the opportunity in front of them. So it'll be UC Santa Barbara. Uh, before we get to a potential round two, one other note. Uh, the Bears have not had Langston Love here lately as uh, he obviously had the eye injury uh, that occurred and, and knocked him out of action here recently. And um, no idea, really. There was no official report on how much time he might miss. Well, we do have at least some update, and that comes from John Rothstein, who said that uh, Langston Love, with that eye injury, will go through practices the next few days, and then a determination will be made if he'll be available for the first-round NCAA tournament game against UC Santa Barbara. That's from Scott Drew. Uh, he has not played since February 27th, average 6.6 per game, blah, blah, blah. But that's from Scott Drew to John Rothstein. So Langston Love will go through practice, see how the eye checks out, and see if he can be available for Friday. But that's where we stand with him. And uh, that is obviously important information. would love to have him, but an eye injury seems like a pretty tricky thing, so who the heck really knows. But um, if he can't play in that game, then perhaps he could be available for the second-round game. And let's now get into that where if the Bears are able to take down the Gauchos, they will face either 6-seed Creighton or 11-seed NC State. So the Blue Jays or the Wolfpack would be awaiting them in the round of 32 uh, thoughts on what they might face if they're able to get past Santa Barbara as we expect that they will. Yeah, so I think the first statement I need to make here is Baylor fans, you need to cheer for NC State in this matchup. And it's it's not so much that Baylor can't beat Creighton. It's definitely not that. But NC State, in my eyes, is a very good matchup for Baylor. And once again, NC State defensively, not very good, and that's what Baylor wants. They are 85th in the country in defense. They're 37th in offense. They're just an okay team. They're 23 and 10. They're 55th in the country, according to Ken Palm. They're okay. Like they're they're just an okay team. They snuck into the tournament. Um, they're a team that I know a lot of people are talking about and really like for some reason. Again, I, I just don't really see it. I don't think defensively they're going to be able to challenge Baylor enough. Some of the things they do offensively are going to hurt Baylor. But to be honest, just about anyone is going to score on Baylor. Baylor's going to have to outscore people um, in the tournament. I think we know that. But I mentioned those metrics on NC State to mention this on Creighton. Creighton is twenty eighth in offensive efficiency, and they're 15th in defense. They're a very good defensive team. They have a really good big with Kalkbrenner. He's a very talented, skilled big man who can absolutely get going. And unfortunately, Baylor has not done a great job protecting the rim. So he's not exactly a guy you would love to face um, in that second round. And again, this is a team that is very good defensively, and they're very locked in defensively, which is something that I took away from this. But... On Baylor's side of this, and I think, again, people aren't mentioning this enough, but NC State, quad one, they're one in six this season. They have one win in the quad one. So, again, if they were to beat Baylor, it would be their second quad one win of the entire season. And then you move to Creighton, and you're thinking, oh, Creighton, they, they definitely have a bunch of quad one wins, right? Yeah, they're three and nine in quad one. So, again, if these teams, which are combined four of, what, four of 15 against the quad one beat Baylor, it would kind of be a little bit of an anomaly for them this season. You know, those teams have been tested to some extent, Creighton especially playing 12 of them. Um, But going three and nine is just not impressive to me. 
And the teams that they've played are good, I, I suppose. They have losses to Arizona, Texas. Those are two really good teams, of course. Uh, lost to Marquette. I mean, lost to Marquette twice, actually. Got destroyed by Xavier in the uh, tournament, 82-60. to 60. Um, They're coming in kind of hobbling a little bit as well, as I believe they're 4-4 four and four in their last eight. Um, so they're, again, not a team that's trending in a great direction right now at the moment. And I, I just I view those quad one wins as something that's really, really important to focus on because Baylor is 11-10 and 10 against the quad one teams. Baylor has proven time and time again they are capable of beating the upper echelon of college basketball. And then when you look at teams that are below that, they're undefeated. They're 11-0 and against teams that aren't in quad one. So they've proven they'll take care of teams that aren't as good as them. And then in the quad one, they're capable of beating those teams as well, whereas Creighton and NC State really haven't proven that in my eyes. So that is the way it lines up for the Bears right now as far as uh, the first weekend goes and uh, what they could find themselves running into. I mean, we know... Uh, the pathway now, and we know the seating, and we know the destination, Denver, Colorado, coming up on Friday afternoon. That's where it will all begin, and as we've seen uh, with Baylor over the years, I mean, it's it's very much March Madness. We've seen them make the deepest of runs possible. We've seen them hit the middle ground. We've seen them have some pretty shocking early exits. You mentioned the name R.J. Hunter. I think that still gives, you know, Baylor fans some some stress when they, yeah. they hear that name. Uh, I remember that that loss like it was yesterday, just the way that whole day unfolded. Everybody was so excited for the tournament to kick off, and then it was just like, bam, just like that, just air out of the balloon. Um, but you realize, like, okay, that was just one of those teams, one of those players, one of those bad draws. And uh, you hope that's not the case this time around. This does seem a bit more favorable, uh, but beyond – you know, that, that first win uh, could go in a lot of different directions. So very much looking forward to uh, to Friday and seeing this thing kick off and we can go a bit deeper into, uh, you know, next week, see where they are. I mean, they're in the Sweet 16 or they're eliminated and the season's over. That's, what we're, we'll, that's where we will be when we talk to you next Tuesday. What do you think happens in these first two games? Do you think they make it to the Sweet 16? I think they week? get to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. I'm not real confident beyond that, but uh, I, I I think I'm taking them in the Sweet 16. And, um, you know, I have to see, like, you know, are they play in Arizona after that or, or who they play in. But, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going a win in, in game one. And I'm, like, 85 90% a win in game two. How about you? Yeah, I think Baylor's going to beat UC Santa Barbara, and then I think they're going to have to play Creighton in the second round. And I think it's going to be a close game, but I, I just think – Baylor's just proven more against these better teams. And so I'm expecting that trend to continue. I think Baylor will probably win by, you know, six points, something like that. I think it'll be a pretty closely contested game, but I am expecting them to win their first game by 15 plus. I just, I don't see that one happening. So yeah, I think we'll be talking about them after two wins next week. And I think we'll be previewing the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. And if we're not, we're not. And that will lead to, you know, NBA draft talk eventually and uh, who stays and who goes on this roster and a lot of other big questions, but hopefully we are talking about a Sweet 16 matchup. Definitely feel great about them getting to the round of 32, uh, and if not, we'll you know obviously have a lot bigger things to talk about, yeah. like a massive upset and huge disappointment for this roster, and so we could go a lot of different ways by next week. Uh, it all 
depends on Friday for starters. And and I don't really care necessarily about the seeding as being indicative on how good of a season Baylor had. I, I think that with this draw, Baylor should get to the Sweet 16 and anything less than that. Honestly, that, that is a disappointment for the season. And sure. I think Scott Drew would say that. I think the entire roster would say that as well. So to act any differently, uh, I think it is kind of obscene. And I know a lot. Of, some people are on various sides of the fence as far as, oh, it's already been a successful year. It's been an okay year. Uh, no, 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 with, no, 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 no. Not with it, this roster. How, how has this been a success? Because they won a bunch of games? Because they're a three seed in no, the, no, no, in no, the no. toughest that's, conference that's in the weak. entire country. No. Some, I, some have said it. I'm, I'm just telling you, on the board, a lot of people have argued that. And I'm just saying with the draw they got and how talented the roster is, they need to at least get to the Sweet 16. So for those people, would are they even expecting, like, should they or, is it like so if they were to lose in the first round, this is a success no matter what. Second round, okay. Second well, that's round. always somewhat better, but even still, no. I, I think a, a round of thirty-two bounce with Keontae George's sole year and with Love and Flag. I mean, I'll, I mean, I know Love's hurt, but you know what I'm saying. Like Cryer, Flag, Cryer. I was who I actually meant year. to say more than Love, but yes, uh, yeah. with this roster, that would be massively disappointing. Mm-hmm. But hey, to each their own. It sounds like a little premature copium. Actually, like, hey, I'm going to set myself up so that I'm not disappointed is what that sounds like. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, I don't see how you could possibly think that with this roster, that would be a successful run compared to, you know, what they are capable of. So I'll disagree with that. But And this team's better than those teams that lost in the first round those years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All right. So that's... We got the men covered. You got the first two matchups uh, going, but uh, as we look around here, the women also making the tournament. Not quite what we've been accustomed to over the years as far as seeing the big reveal and all of that. You knew they were going to make the tournament, but it wasn't so much I and O. Are they going to be a number one seed? Are they going to be a number one overall seed? You know, those days are, are not in the cards right now. For what it's worth, the number one uh, seeds overall in the women's tournament, South Carolina at 32-0. and 0. Uh, Don Staley would just... Uh, a machine uh, out there in Columbia, Indiana, Virginia Tech, Stanford. Those are your top four seeds. So Gamecocks, Hoosiers, Hokies, and Cardinal. Uh, that's how the women stack up as far as the top draws go. And for uh, the Baylor women, um, they had to wait longer than they're accustomed to, but did make their 19th straight NCAA tournament. So there is that mark as well. Uh, they are a seven seed in the Seattle region and they will face number 10-seeded Alabama uh, in the first round out in Storrs, Connecticut. So what does that mean? That means they're in the Yukon Huskies bracket. That's uh, the Yukon Huskies region. That's where they are. Uh, Yukon number 7 in a top 10 draw overall, and that's who the Bears would see in round number 2, would be uh, the good old you know hometown Huskies there in Storrs. So that... I mean, we can kind of stop right there and not have to proceed much further. Really, though, the question to me is, do they win the first game and do they get into the second round? But uh, Garrett, the Big 12 tournament, let's just talk about that real briefly. Iowa State wipes them out uh, in the first round. Not mm-hmm. different from the men, really, at all in that regard. But uh, just your your thoughts on how they wrap the season up and then just kind of your, your feeling as they start to transition into this postseason phase as far as the uh, NCAA tournament goes. I would like to say I'm surprised, uh, but I'm really not. I think Iowa State, kind of like in the men, is a bad matchup uh, uh, for Baylor. Um, it was interesting to watch that game unfold and watch the Big 12 Player of the Year and Ashley Jones go against the Freshman of the Year, Darion and Little Page Bugs, and I think those two like has a great chess match going back and forth. 
Um, it was bright for Baylor to actually have Jaden Owens step up and, and score in double digits, which is something that's been rare this year. Uh, she had a big second quarter, but ultimately at the end, I mean, it was Ashley Jones saying, I'm not, I'm going to show you all why I'm the player of the year. She put Iowa State on her back and kind of led to that, that late run that put the Bears to bed. Um, the seeding goes, man, it, it's kind of like, Last week, or really the past couple of weeks when we've talked, it was watching the line from Bracketology, and I think they do a pretty good job with that as far as kind of like you see and you can ride with that when the, the seedings come out um, like they did on Selection Sunday. But it was how was Baylor going to get off that eight line and not be matched up with South Carolina. And unfortunately, like you just laid out, great, you got off the eight line. Now you got to face possibly UConn. And I've been kind of looking at this Alabama matchup and – it's intriguing to me that this is the first meeting between the two programs ever. Uh, Bama's coming into this off of four-game skid, where Baylor is 3-6 and six since February 7th. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of hard. I think that Bama's obviously battle-tested any time that you're in a conference with South Carolina and what LSU's been able to do, and Tennessee for that matter as well. They're, they're playing really solid this year. I think Baylor can get the, the dub. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game. Uh, but as far as getting out of there, I don't, I don't see them getting past UConn. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I think this this conversation is all about Alabama and what that's going to look like, Grayson. And, um, and then you know we can all revisit that. But that, that, like, I think that looking ahead at round two takes some of the sizzle out of just the initial draw and, and the Crimson Tide. It would be big for Nikki Collin to win a tournament game this year. I think with this roster and just kind of the way the season's gone along, I mean, yeah, sure, you'd, you'd love a Sweet 16 run. You'd love an Elite Eight. You'd love all these things you kind of become accustomed to. But I think it's just important to get that first win. And that's the same thing for the men. Like, they just have to get that first win. But but truly for the women, this is a total toss-up uh, against Alabama, in my opinion. And it's very much like you just pointed out, Alabama's played – the number one overall seed. Uh, they play LSU and, and Kim Mulkey and company. I mean, they've they played some tough teams, much like the men on the on the Big 12 side. So what are your thoughts about Nikki Collin and company, uh, their draw, and it's kind of how they're rolling into the postseason here? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy because they only played three ranked teams all year. So they played Utah in the non-con, and then they played LSU in South Carolina just once. SEC was very top-heavy. They yeah. had the top two, and then that was pretty much right. it. Yeah. So they got to play all the bad teams, and they still lost to a lot of those bad teams. Yep. Um, and so that that was kind of interesting to me. I'm, I'm kind of like, well, okay, are they really that good, or are they only in the tournament because they got to play the really good teams just once? And so... That's kind of one of those things that I'm kind of looking at and going, okay, that plays in Baylor's favor, and that's probably why Bama was a 10 seed going into this. And so, yeah, I, I think in general, you know, the more that I look at this women's team, I think they're going to fight, and I think they're going to get through round one. I do. I, I think they're going to find a way to beat Alabama, a team that in my eyes they should be able to beat. Um, but, yeah, like you mentioned, after that, I, I don't see them – even really challenging UConn. I mean, that that's just, I think, far too much to ask of this team and where they're currently at and the fact that they, like we've talked about, have dealt with these injuries to two of their best players all season long, and now you're expecting them to go on the road and beat UConn. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. And the tough part is, is that they avoided, honestly, I think they got the worst number one seed in the tournament but they're not going to be able to really make any magic from that. And I actually think the UConn team that they're going to play in the second round is going to make it all the way to the Final Four. Final Four, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's a safe bet with UConn. I mean, that's not a crazy thing to say is that they'll go make a deep run. But, yeah, they're going to start off in Stores, Connecticut. And um, they 
um, face Tennessee to Alabama, as we mentioned. Uh, then it would be the winner of UConn, the number two seed, and 15th seed Vermont. And we know how that's going to go. There's not going to be any big surprise there. So if they can't get past the Crimson Tide, it would be the number two UConn Huskies. And then beyond that, we could talk about that next week. But the odds are pretty low. I think we all kind of feel the same way. If, uh, that's why I'm saying, like, just get that win over Alabama. And then what happens after that happens after that. But um, there would be no shame. But you just you got to beat the Crimson Tide in that first game. And that would, I think... Um, you know, be a pretty big deal and a nice little building block for Nikki Collin and company. And then, you know, see what happens after that. Um, but unfortunately, because of that draw, I think everybody's eyes just immediately went to round two. They're like, no matter what, like, oh, well, they're not going to make a deep run regardless. But let's see. Um, just get that first win and then, like I said, go from there. But, yeah, in stores, Connecticut uh, is where they will start out. And uh, we will see 19-12 and 12 overall, the one-and-done exit in the Big 12 tournament. And as uh, Garrett mentioned, been kind of, what, three and six in their last nine, been yep. limping uh, down the stretch a bit. So um, hopefully they can – you know, take advantage of this time off and and do something good with it. But that'll be coming up uh, this Saturday at four thirty. So the men on Friday midday, the women on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and you mentioned how bad the SEC was. I didn't realize it was this bad, but LSU went twenty eight and two this year, mm-hmm. and they're a three seed. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that really is. You know, when I saw that, I I was just like, like uh, like I had a double take because of the thought. Like, man, they're really really good, but. Yes. They must have just not played anyone. Like they you, didn't you, play anybody yeah. until they played uh, like South Carolina. Basically, like they were like twenty and zero or whatever it was. And I'm not trying to be exactly perfect with that. They're one and one in, against the top twenty five. Yeah, but they they when they were going on their initial run earlier this season, everybody's going crazy. But they're undefeated. They're like twenty and nothing. It's like they didn't play anybody. Yeah, they didn't play anybody. And. Um, that's not to, to take away from no, it, but that's yeah. just the facts is they hadn't played really any ranked teams. And when you look at the SEC, I made the Big 12 comparison. I was making that more as far as like the top. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's LSU's really good, I think. Um, and then South Carolina is obviously arguably the best in the sport and probably is the best in the sport. And they're 5-0. And, they, and, guess, and yeah, yeah, and they carry the, the torch. Uh, they, you know, carry the banners for the conference. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, it's... It's not super impressive, but it's not deep like the the Big 12 men's side by no. any stretch. And you know what? The Big 12 women's side wasn't very good either. So these are two teams coming from conferences. And I'd say, you know, at least the SECs, they had the best team for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but, yeah, not a lot of difference as far as being top-heavy goes by no. any means. So we'll see what that means for both the Crimson Tide and the Bears. But uh, Nikki Collin and company – uh, gearing up for the NCAA tournament. And, hey, don't take for granted that both the men and women make it and, and have an opportunity to maybe each go on to the, play a second game. Uh, so we'll see uh, how that goes. Was there a, a transfer announcement that got deleted? Because I swear I saw Nikki Collin retweet somebody announcing their transfer yesterday, so and now I can't find Kendra it. Gillespie. Kendra Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah, she transferred out. Um, she announced it on Twitter. I believe it was I believe it was yesterday that she put it out there. But this it's one of those things that's not really surprising. It was kind of hush-hush, per se. Like, you, you knew she had some – they called it family issues going on mm-hmm. for over about the past month and a half. Okay. And she's just kind of been dormant. So I, I'm not really surprised it happened, but – as far as, like, the details, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, no, I just seen that in passing, and I saw what I thought was Nikki Collin retweeting yeah. it, and now I went and looked, and I don't see it again, and I might just have, like, a filter up or something like that. But, yeah, Kendra Gillespie did announce that she's transferring the program, so just making note of, of that as well. But, yeah, men coming up Friday afternoon uh, in the noon hour, and then um, mid-afternoon, uh, 
closer to evening, the women on Saturday. That's what we have in store for you, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, after this weekend and what we'll be talking about for both, either putting some some last rites on the season or previewing what should be an incredible week two if they're both still alive at that point. But easier said than done for sure. All right, we do have some mailback questions, but did want to touch on some football. Uh, you were at a camp this past weekend. You want to kind of lay out what uh, you saw, what you heard, and, and what was important from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll dive into the camp here in a sec, but yesterday Baylor did have visitors on campus. Uh, Deuce Adams, one of their – uh, high high quarterbacks, a guy that they're really interested in. Uh, him and uh, Haas Haney are the two guys that they're kind of in on at the quarterback position. Deuce visited yesterday, so he's obviously one to keep an eye on. Baylor's been recruiting him pretty hard. Uh, and he was on campus with Jaden Porter, who's committed to Baylor, and then Trey uh, Griffiths, who's another wide receiver who they've been uh, having long conversations with, lots of interest there. And so it was really interesting. You know, they had three guys on campus, and it happens to be be a quarterback and two receivers with one of them being a commit pretty smart strategy I would say if you're trying to you know land some guys and you're putting a lot of focus into them and you got a great ambassador of Baylor and Jaden Porter there who's been committed for a long time and so yeah just keep an eye on that those are some guys that I really feel like could be great fits for Baylor and I know Deuce Adams is a kid who I think is going to be a riser problem for me was he was supposed to be at Under Armour camp this weekend, and so was Haas Haney, and neither of them showed up. So I got to, I didn't get to see either of them throw in person. So that was kind of one of those things that I was really looking forward to. Didn't quite happen. Um, but either way, Bill was able to get him on campus, and I believe Haas Haney is actually going to move up his visit to next week. So that'll be something to also keep an eye on as the weeks progress. Now, outside of that, you know, I, I think. Baylor's done a really nice job recruiting, and I I specifically talked about Matthew Pallage and Christian Robinson. I wanted to ask a lot of recruits about those two guys uh, because there were a lot of really good receivers there, a lot of really good defensive backs, um, linebackers as well, and just trying to figure out, you know, what do you think about these two? How are they doing on the recruiting trail? And the overwhelming response was all positive about both of those guys. I, I think... The fact is they're great people, pers- people. they're great guys um, who are great at building relationships, and they're easy to talk to, and they relate to the players really well. And that was consensus amongst all of these guys. And when I'm talking about all of these guys, I mean, we're talking about four-star prospects like, you know, Jaden Hardy, Corian Gibson, uh, Chris Wokema. I mean, guys who are really, really good, who have a ton of interest in Baylor because of Matthew Pallage and Christian Robinson. I know Tyanthony Smith has a great relationship with Christian Robinson as well. Um, so, yeah, in general, that was the most important thing to mention. Um, outside of that, lots of talented guys. And I think I came away from the Under Armour camp, just kind of sitting there and going, hey, you know what? I think Baylor's going to have a really good class in 2024 because of just the way they're on the radar for all these four-star guys and all these guys who are seriously considering taking an official visit to Baylor. And that's really all you can hope for at this point. And so while we all thought the momentum was kind of going to be zapped after a 6-7 and season, or it could be zapped, um, I think you're seeing these coaching changes and the Baylor program selling itself as being a really big selling point for a lot of the top recruits in the state. And so I I came away very impressed. Lots of positive reactions from my end and from uh, a lot of the top targets on Baylor's board. Good deal. I mean, there's... uh 
practices right around the corner. And that'll certainly add some energy and some spice and shake things up mm-hmm. a little bit because it's kind of been dormant. Um, I mean, there's been no lack of news as far as the portal and coaching staff changes and all that, but it's been kind of quiet here as of late. And we haven't heard from Dave Aranda since the, the bowl post-game press conference. So we should hear from him next week, and that ought to be interesting. But, yeah, recruiting obviously never stops really – but that's good to hear because you just it's so quiet, you just kind of wonder where they are. And they don't promote um, or social media it up like a lot of other programs do to the extent that, that others do. So it, you kind of just wonder sort of where are they? Is there any momentum going on? Is there, you know, is that, that's, are they in a good spot with, with guys? Are they getting lost in the shuffle? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's positive to hear. Yeah, and the three commits were all at the Under Armour camp. So that's Brock Jackson, Colton Siraki, and Jaden Porter. They all went to the Under Armour camp on Sunday and all looked really good. They all had great performances. Um, Colton won every single rep at the center position. That kid, he just keeps getting better and better. And as he continues to grow and fill out his frame, I mean, he's going to be a very, very good prospect. He's completely locked into Baylor. Jaden Porter's locked in as well. He's going to early enroll. I think I've mentioned that a few times, but he'll be on Baylor's campus in January. And then Brock Jackson, uh, he was kind of moving all over the defensive line. I know some people have suggested that he could play uh, a defensive end spot at Baylor, uh, but right now Caleb Collins and those guys really want him at the jack position. So, you know, he had a good camp as well. He's locked in. So it's a good starting point, honestly, for this class with those three. And as we saw last year, really June is the time where kind of landing prospects became more and more rapid. I mean, we just saw it for, what was it, like two months where they were just landing all these kids back to back to back. Um, I think we'll see it a little more spread out. I'm expecting maybe a couple to to happen in March. And then I do think when official visits happen in June and July, um, that's when they'll start landing even more prospects. All right, good deal. Uh, anything else football-wise? I don't think so. I, You know, that's kind of a brief overview. If you want more information, I'll probably have some up tomorrow. Just so many news and notes items to get to from the camp. And uh, a lot of those will be up on the website premium uh, tomorrow. All right, good deal. Let's get into the uh, mailbag for this week. Uh, Scotty B., the Baylor King, if you had to be around any Baylor head coach for one day, who would that coach be and why? Uh, Good question. Um, I think I'd go with Scott Drew. I think he's. I think he'd be a really fun guy to hang out with for a day and kind of see what he goes through during the that daily process because you know he's working really really hard but you yeah. also know that he's probably having fun doing it as well yeah it was boring but i actually had the same thought like i yeah. the others i mean i could probably sit and not say a word with dave aranda for a few hours but i don't know it seems like it'd probably get boring for both of us um you know i i don't know everybody else just kind of blends in as far as being probably about the same but scott yeah. drew stands out as somebody where i'd probably be exhausted as the day came to a close but it would be a jam-packed energetic mm-hmm. electricity filled day somehow or another like he would just he would make it interesting and yeah I'd be fascinated to see how much he he crams into his day as far as you know talking to folks and coaching and doing all the things that his his job requires yeah and I, I'd love to hear Dave Branda talk about football because I think sure. that's totally fascinating I think you know eventually Mitch Thompson will climb up the board a little bit just hard right now with you know the way they're they're kind of playing Glenn Moore right. there on a run, so maybe he'd be interesting as well because he's been at Baylor for so long. But, yeah, I, I think Scott Drew's the answer. Yeah, that's that's me. who I thought of as well. 
Scotty also said, I want to give a shout-out to former Baylor pole vaulter Annie Rhodes Jonigan and her husband Zach on becoming parents of a baby boy last week. I've known both for a combined 31 wow. years and couldn't be any happier for them. So, Congrats. Yeah, congrats to uh, to both, and uh, thank you, Scotty. Bearcats, what player's performance for the men's basketball team is most vital to us making a deep run in the tourney? You know, I think probably before the this recent run of losses, I would have told you Jalen Bridges, and I think he probably is the answer. But to be honest, the way they've played, I think that especially the first two rounds, I really think it's going to come down to Adam Flagler. And I know that shouldn't be the answer. Like, you should just be expecting them to show up and Adam Flagler play really good basketball. But this is the guy that won a national championship, and this is the one guy on this team, maybe along with LJ Cryer, that I really think could get them to a Final Four. And so I just think he's going to have to go on a tear. He's going to have to shoot the ball at a very high level, and he's going to have to find a way to get the ball in the paint and finish. And if he can do that, Baylor's going to be a very dangerous team uh, for anyone to have to play in the tournament. But that's why it's him, because I think he's the key in kind of this team hitting their ceiling if he plays at the level that we know he can play at, but it's been inconsistent at times this year. H. York, how many games can the Bears win? Do they make it to the Sweet 16? Well, um, they can win them all, I suppose, if they're very, very best. That's unlikely, but I do have them penciled into the Sweet 16 as of right now. I haven't like gone over my bracket. I know some people do it immediately as soon as it's released, and I know it's been out for over a day now at this point, but um, I'll do mine probably tonight, as, actually, or tomorrow, but yeah, definitely within the next 24 hours. But I have not dove in all the way still I I have Baylor penciled into the second round and I'll probably stick with that yeah I I think as long as as Baylor does I mean into the third round sweet 16 yeah. yeah I think as long as Baylor doesn't run into Alabama I think they can keep winning games I just, I've you know, watching Alabama, that length and athleticism, I just think that would be a problem. It, it reminds me of what happened when they played Marquette and where they just were facing a different level of athletes, and it was so hard for the guards to create shots and create separation. Uh, so if Bama gets upset, then that opens up some things because I do think Baylor can beat Arizona. I think they have a good enough team to you know, beat Virginia after losing to them early in the season. But I think if they had to run into Bama, I think that's where um, I would find that to be unrealistic for me to predict them beating Alabama, just the way I see them matching up. But I do think they make the Sweet 16. Your daily cup check. Baylor seems to have whiffed on our top of the list targets for 24 quarterbacks. Are the two mid-level three-star quarterbacks we're evaluating undergraded, or is the staff simply feeling the pressure to get a quarterback signed due to depth behind Shapin and Robertson? I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the odds of them landing DJ Lagway or Walker White or Trey Owens were all pretty low. You know, I I don't think that those were going to be easy ones to land at this point in the process. None of them were really hidden at all. They were all they're all four star guys like that's just tough to predict. Baylor's going to have to, most times, Baylor lands guys who are high three-star types, and then if they blow up, it's because it was a great evaluation, and that's what happened with Austin Novosad. You know, he was a three-star. Baylor offered. He committed. Then all these other schools took notice of him. Then he eventually became a four-star guy. I think that similar thing could happen to Deuce Adams. I think he's a really good player and Haas Haney. I think both of them are really good. I have them rated as high three-star, low four-star type prospects, which is a really, really good prospect for Baylor to land. Heck, Sora Robertson was a low four-star guy. 
Um, Blake Shapin was a high three-star guy for me, um, kind of that high mid-tier three-star. And so I think by the end of this, Deuce and Haas could both end up in that four-star range. I like both of them, um, and I, I really don't think that these are guys that Baylor is quote-unquote settling on. I, I think they are really good players, and I think they're better um, than a lot of the quarterbacks in the state of Texas specifically. Text Bear BF, uh, any update on Langston? Uh, speaking of Langston Love, and yes, uh, just – Mentioned that a little earlier, John Rothstein via Scott Drew saying that he would go through practice the next few days and they would determine whether he'll be available for the UC Santa Barbara game. Um, and yeah, nearly a, we're coming up on a couple of weeks out from him being out an entire month. So I guess he's been out a couple of weeks now at this point is a better way to say it. But yeah, that's the update is that they're going to try and give him a go in practice and see what he can handle. And if he can play on Friday, they'll have him available. But uh, that's as close as we'll get. And we won't know until probably they, they take the court unless they make some announcement beforehand. But still a couple of days away from, from knowing anything for sure. It's going to cost you. Who are y'all's final four picks? I just mentioned uh, I haven't gone through my bracket just yet. I'm sorry, but... Uh, who do you have lined up in yours, if, if you've done yours already? Yeah, I have. So I have Gonzaga coming out of the West. Um, I have Alabama coming out of the South. And then I believe I have – sorry, I don't even have my roster pulled up, but I'm trying to get the – oh, I have um, Houston coming out of the Midwest. And then out of the East right now I have Purdue. Um, but that is the one that I'm kind of that I'm looking at that bracket specifically. And that one's been really hard for me to, to judge. Cause I think Purdue could easily lose to Memphis in the second round. I think Marquette could make the final four Duke. Um, but yeah, so what I say, Purdue, uh, Gonzaga, Houston and Alabama. Okay. Currently. Uh, yeah, I mean, that just, may change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking at, I get Bama seems like a good one to take. Uh, Houston seems like a good one to take. Uh, and then the other two, you know, not as much of a, of a layup necessarily. I'm not sold on, on Kansas, but per, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all number one seeds for a reason. So yeah, I'll have to get mine out there and I'm sure I'll mention it on the show at some point, but I just don't have them ready just yet. So apologies there, but you did get Grayson. So it's going to cost you. Uh, thank you for the question. And then Enable to bring us to a close today. What is the ceiling floor for Baylor men's basketball? Seems like the committee was much kinder to Baylor this year compared to last year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, playing North Carolina, North Carolina in the second round, hindsight looks bad. But at the time, like. That wasn't like your typical North Carolina no. seed, you know. And they weren't that good, like, during the season. Like, they earned an 8-9. That's just what it was last year. So I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I do think that Baylor did get a good draw, though. I've mentioned that. I think their draw to the Sweet 16 is very, very nice. I think they should be able to get there. Um, floor for me is round of 32. There is a chance they lose to Creighton or NC State in the second round. There absolutely. And anyone that says there's zero chance of that is lying. There is a chance if Baylor hasn't recovered from their late season losses to Iowa State. Uh, the ceiling, though, the ceiling for me is Final Four if they don't have to play Bama. But I just I, I can't convince myself that they can beat that Alabama team in the Elite Eight. But if they don't have to play Bama, then I think they can make it all the way to the Final Four and potentially win the whole thing depending on the matchups. I really do. I, I mean, you know, they haven't proven that they can win six in a row in a while. Hmm. Um but they do have the talent if they get hot enough to actually make that happen. 
Yeah, they're they're a wildly frustrating and enjoyable team all at the same time because you do know that at their best there is you know, they're they're able to play and keep up with anybody, but uh when they're struggling in certain areas on the boards or shooting, uh which t- seem to be like two of their you know, defensively, um that's that's been obviously a huge issue for them. And the shots aren't falling. It gets pretty ugly pretty quick. And it's just like, all right, are they going to hit a slide where they they run into somebody and, like, the shots aren't falling and they're, you know, giving up 85 points and... Layups and dongs. Right, and, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't really worry about that too much in the first round. I do think that their floor is same like you. is a round of 32. That should be the bare minimum expectation. And even then, like, with this roster, that seems like it would be such a disappointment. Um you know, I, I'd feel good if they get the Sweet 16. I'd feel good about anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why that's such an accomplishment is you, you hang banners for getting to the Sweet 16. So, yeah, I, I'd say floor 32. And then as high as I, I'd really get, you know, legitimately realistic, uh, probably like Elite Eight, I'd say. I think I was going to say, I think what we've seen throughout the year and kind of how they look, especially on the defensive end, I think just simply saying, without even saying playing Bama, this is a team that their ceiling's probably the Elite Eight. I don't think they're a Final Four on, like, if they did this 10 times, they would make the Final Four maybe once. Right, yeah. Is kind of why yeah, I don't think they're one of the best four teams in the no. country, no, right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't expect that, uh, but I do think that they could go and, and go to the Elite Eight and, you know, create some havoc along the way. But I, I don't don't feel strongly uh, about that necessarily, but I definitely don't feel strongly about even beyond that. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'll stick kind of in the same, I think almost the exact same vicinity uh, as far as that goes. So, you know, I do appreciate uh, that question and uh, taking a quick glance around any crazy news that's come out over the last hour while we've been talking. I don't believe so. I think we've hit on pretty much everything. Uh, so next week we'll have, you know, again, either uh, a season you know, ending recap of one or both basketball teams, or we'll be talking about one or both basketball teams moving on into the Sweet 16 rounds, and and that will be awfully fun to talk about. We'll also have football to talk about next week as they get set to open spring practices as well. And, uh, man, just it never stops as uh, the spring schedule continues on. Recruiting stuff, I'm sure, will be uh, in the cards as well. But, Grayson, anything before we head out this week? No, just be sure to uh, check out uh, Sikkim 365 Premium side. Spring practice is about to get rolling. And, of course, with the NCAA tournament here, a lot of our coverage is going to be focused on Baylor basketball and Baylor women's basketball as well. And then, of course, be sure to check out 365 Sports Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Y'all have been covering a lot, even college basketball in recent days. So I know that's probably going to be a focus for y'all as well, but also college football coverage as, as well. Yeah, if there's news out there, we will be uh, talking about it on, on either side of those uh, sports. But, yeah, definitely the tournament taking a lot of precedent right now. All those spring football getting geared up all across the country is, is definitely going to be a major focus as well. So if you get an opportunity, check us out 3 to 6 on the YouTube channel. And, of course, a lot of Baylor coverage over on Sikkim365.com. We do appreciate you listening. Thanks to uh, Garrett Ross behind the scenes, Jack McKenzie, who was here a little earlier as well, and thanks to Grayson Grunhafer as well. I'm Craig Smoke. Do appreciate you listening. Talk to you next Tuesday at noon, and we'll see what we could possibly be talking about after the big games this weekend. Uh, But looking forward to a bit of March Madness. Until next time, this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and the YouTube channel.